Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals. Your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. Folks, today's episode is about, well... Here's the thing, it's definitely not a conspiracy theory, it's an actual conspiracy, and it's one whose legality depends on who you're asking. It's also, weirdly enough, uh, unlike many conspiracies, it's one right out in the open. Uh, Without spoiling it, we we should begin, as the Mad Hatter said, at the beginning of the story. So to do that, let's start with something called the International Criminal Court and a little city called The Hague, or at least that's how we pronounce it here in the States. Here are the facts. 
So the International Criminal Court, uh, which is often shorthanded as the ICC, is in theory the first court for the entire world. You know, usually Supreme Courts uh, only govern individual countries. They can only preside over their own respective nations. This court, on the other hand, is the first and only permanent international court fixture, uh, meaning that it has... In, in theory, jurisdiction to prosecute individual human people for international crimes. Uh, but there's a very specific criteria for the types of crimes that it can prosecute, uh, specifically the crimes of genocide, crimes against humanity, uh, war crimes, and the crime of aggression. Yeah, and it should be noted that this is different from another international court of sorts that you may have heard of that has to do with the UN. That one's called the court of justice. Um, and you know, if you, when you think about that one, it's kind of like handling dispute. It's not a lesser court necessarily, but it's handling disputes between countries. It's not to be confused with the justice league. That's a, that's no. a fictional super, you know, cadre. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's an important difference. So for instance, if you are, um, let's, for an easy one, if you are Mexico and you are beefed up, if you're beefing it with Canada, then you would reasonably go to the International Court of Justice. But if you are a terrible individual, uh, like Ricky Spanish, the pseudonym of <laughs> Roger from, from, uh, from, uh, oh, what's that? American, American family, American this American family dad. guy, the alien, the American alien, dad. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. The lovable alien uh, who has a horrific alter ego named Ricky Spanish. If you're a very, very bad person, then you end up again, as you said, Noel, in theory, at the International Criminal Court. Now, the ICC is pretty young. It was created in 1998 through the signing of something called the Rome Statute, which laid out here's what the ICC is going to be because the UN and many other international bodies love a lot of paperwork. But didn't it take a long time for that to even get like ratified? I mean, the actual Rome yeah. statute was was created in like the late 80s even, wasn't it? Well, they got they got to they got to the agreement. They they finally decided on the ingredients of their pizza, you know, in 1998. So, if we think of it that way, that's when they called in the delivery. And then fast forward a few years, it's July 1st, 2002, the delivery has uh, come. Right. It is the ICC and all the countries that were part of this Rome statute automatically become members of the ICC, which gives them certain powers. They can team up. It gives them, I would say, rights and responsibilities. They can team up to say, hey, prosecute this jerk or they can uh, try to bring their own case. Uh, they also are under the jurisdiction of the ICC, which is a big, big deal. Uh, before we really dive in, folks, just to be clear, whether you've heard of this before, you don't know it from a can of paint, the majority of the world, uh, the majority of countries on the planet have agreed it's a good idea to hold monsters accountable. And as of March of this year, there were 123 members, member states, countries of the ICC, uh, 42 never signed, never became parties. And a few countries, as we'll see, were kind of down in the beginning. They were down to clown, but then they backed out because they just weren't juggalo enough for this kind of justice. 
Justice low? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we're and the justice we're talking about isn't justice for some crime that you know, you let's say even as bad as you murder someone, right? Yeah, you can't not, just murder not, one person. No, no, no. It's more you're, like you're trying to going. wipe out an entire race, you know, like 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 total like Lex Luthor type crimes. Like serious big picture supervillain crimes. Yeah, and it's generally an individual who has the power to mobilize a bunch of other individuals to do something, right? And that's generally you 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 try and hold the person accountable who actually made those moves happen. Mm-hmm. And the burden of proof for a lot of these things can be uh, very high. You know, just imagine imagine the bureaucracy if you. For anyone who lives in the U.S., imagine uh, you live in California and you get a speeding ticket in Louisiana and you have to navigate those two different court systems. This is a magnitude, several magnitudes beyond that. uh, And you can't get there if you're listening to this because your dream is to be tried by the ICC. Listen, don't do it. You don't want it. It's going to take forever and it's going to be a lot of work for you. You can't go to the IC- ICC just for selling dime bags or racking up parking tickets. You have to move horror in weight. Uh, this is, by its own description, a court of last resort. To your point, Matt, the idea of powerful people, real life supervillains being prosecuted, uh, this court exists because the world finally acknowledged that in many cases, these people's home countries seem unable or unwilling to prosecute these folks because more often than not, they also have their finger on the uh, on the scale of their own country's justice system. They've corrupted it. They've rotted it out like old wooden planks. And often the person who is being prosecuted or, or- the other another country or group of countries are seeking to prosecute would you as you said ben have the power to maybe even just prevent that court from doing anything by with brute force uh or even one of the things that's put in there aggression they would just use their internal aggression <laughs> to prevent it from happening just arrest the judge follow us for more tips on being a dictator well and you know not to get too overly political right up front but it's like there are ways that uh, this country even over the past handful of years has inched towards those types of criteria with um, certain Supreme Court appointments that have uh, made it all but a sure thing that certain agendas will be followed. So while like the Supreme Court is meant to uphold this neutral kind of position and be able to prosecute people like that uh, for crimes like we're talking about, uh, there are certain things that have made that a little more difficult. Uh, Where our own legal system is a little hamstrung, um, which would make it very helpful for a kind of neutral, extra judicial body to be able to sweep in and say, hey, you're not going to do the right thing. So we're going to do it for you. If, if you think about anyone who holds the office of president or even really close to, to that office here in the U.S., often they are given a certain type of immunity, a very specialized immunity from actions taken while they're in office, at least from being prosecuted by the United States, right? So if you just take that as an example and you think about it in the context that we're discussing right now, many countries have like protections for their highest levels of office, right? Their leaders, And that's why something like the International Criminal Court seems to be a really good idea, because even if that internal country decides it's not going to do anything or can't do anything, somebody else can step in. And to my knowledge, I mean, Ben, correct me if I'm wrong, like 
are there limits to the power of a presidential pardon? Like, it always seems kind of willy-nilly to me uh, in terms of what that covers. Like, are there, like, crimes that are even too egregious to be worthy of a presidential pardon? It's a good question, and it's one uh, it's, I'm really glad you asked this because we all know, if you pay attention to uh, U.S. administrations, uh, we all know there are certain cyclical things that happen, especially if a president doesn't win re-election. And one of the uh, funniest things is there's this fire sale on pardons. And I am using the word sell, unfortunately. There's a fire sale on pardons toward the end of an administration. The idea of whether or not a president can pardon anything is kind of up to um, – okay, it, it, it's kind of up to whether or not – people push back. Like we had another, we had an episode a few years ago, can a president pardon themselves, which led to a fascinating like rigmarole of weirdness. Uh, as far as I've seen, there haven't been, and check us on this fellow conspiracy realists, there haven't been, there have been big stinks in the court of public opinion when a president has pardoned someone who clearly did something and was clearly something bad. Uh, but there haven't been presidential pardons that have been kicked back by another court. The president has very broad constitutional powers in that regard. Well, and usually it's a it's it's a political maneuver, you know, when you do those kinds of pardons. There's a certain amount of political capital that you're expending, whether it's for your party, you know, or or yourself or, you know, a potential uh, future reelection or future ability to exercise influence. You know, if a president exercises a pardon that the entire country and or world sees as completely egregious and self-serving, then that, you know, burns some pretty serious political capital. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and again, we're talking in this case, we're talking specifically about the U.S. If you're not from the U.S., you're going to love this because it's wild. If you are president, one of the side benefits is that you can pardon any family member that you want. You can be like, ah, oh, my weird uncle, um, uncle Beauregard or whatever. Uh, yeah, he smoked that meth, but he's a good guy at heart. Just don't leave him unattended around copper uh, and, you know, let him go his own way. <laughs> just, just like that uh, Fleetwood Mac song. But the one uh, to amend what I was saying, amend uh, one of the one big no, no for any presidential pardon is if someone is impeached, if, if they have been impeached, you can't undo that. Uh, because that's other that's a decision by um, other other high level government members. Also, you can't pardon for future crimes, right? Like it's only for something very specific that has already taken place as much as you can, maybe folks would, <laughs> would like to think they can do that. <laughs> I know, like just tag base forever. I love that. Who do I have to write to? Dear Uncle Joe, uh, I've got some stuff coming up in a few years. <laughs> Let's um, just preemptively, yeah, give me a give me a get out of jail free card for that. Can we just really quickly define some terms, uh, those specific things that the ICC can, you know, theoretically prosecute? Because I, I don't know that everyone they're they're not entirely clear on, on the on the face of them. Yeah, perfect. So genocide, uh, we also have an episode on that. Genocide becomes very surprisingly enough. I think the common person we can all all. all thinking minds can agree on what genocide is, uh, but legally 
there are uh, there are a lot of interested parties who go back on and forth on what they think is proper to be called genocide. But as I think we pretty neatly defined it just earlier, it is the mass uh, the mass murder of people who have nothing in common except for one thing, uh, a racial characteristic, um, an ethnic identity most often. Crimes of aggression, that might be a little bit confusing for people because you could say many crimes are crimes of aggression, but a a crime of, yeah, but you'll hear it also called a crime against peace. What it basically means is using state military force to do something that is not a response. That's why that's why world powers are very careful to phrase their actions as responses, even in the case of Russia and Ukraine right now. Well, and of course, they can be found later to be false pretenses. You know, you can wage a war and claim that you're protecting yourself, but then it is later determined that it was either some sort of false flag incident or it was just you were fudging the facts a little bit about what actually transpired in the um, uh, attempt to illegally wage war. And so another one that might be a little vague for a lot of us is crimes against humanity. That's very different from purposely dropping an SBD in a crowded elevator knowing people can't move. A crime against humanity is more broad than a crime of aggression or a uh, crime of a crime of genocide. It's a large-scale persecution or atrocity against a body of people, not necessarily linked by a commonality, a self-identifying or identified commonality. And then war crimes, uh, <laughs> war crimes are an episode of their own, uh, of which this is a part. Before we move on, though, there's one thing I don't want to get lost in this conversation. A presidential pardon can be preemptive. Uh, you can do so, just like uh, Richard Nixon was preemptively pardoned. It's just kind of unusual. Gerald Ford said, okay, let's move on from this show uh, and, and gave, uh, gave Tricky Dick a get-out-of-jail-free card, literally. Would you say that one thing that, that these criteria have in common is that they all sort of rally around the idea of morals, the idea of respect for human life? In, in some way, that's the broader understanding is that we have some centralized agreement upon what the value of human life is. Yeah, there's the idea that they're, uh, they're all large scale effects, right? There's unfortunately as, as uh, horrendous as torture or mutilation is, uh, it's, it is a measure of large scale effect. So if you torture one person, you're not going to the ICC. Uh, you should not torture anybody. Check out our, I'm not going to spend the whole episode just referencing earlier episodes, but check out our our examination of whether torture works. It doesn't, spoiler, uh, so, or it doesn't get people to tell you the truth. Well, and when you make it a policy to call torture as something different, like an enhanced interrogation technique, mm. and then use that on hundreds and hundreds of people, you probably don't want to have the international <laughs> court coming down on you. So you do everything you can to make sure you're you're good. Well, yep, which we're getting to with those 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 member nations and the ones that uh, didn't want to play 
at the end of the day. Uh, we talked about this in a recent Strange News or, or perhaps Listener Mail where somebody wrote in, um, whose name is escaping me, please forgive me, just about uh, taking a trip to The Hague or, or teaching their students about The Hague and the fact that the U.S. is one of those abstaining members. Uh, and it calls into question why. Why would you not want to be a part of this? Ben, you mentioned that most of the countries of the world think this is a good idea. So it begs the question, if you don't think it's a good idea, what are you trying to uh, prevent? What are you trying to, to not hide, but why don't you want to have the eye of this uh, body on you? It's good foreshadowing, especially considering that the ICC is also purposefully hamstrung. It can only investigate and prosecute crimes that are, quote, and this is directly from them, folks, committed within member states, crimes committed by nationals of member states, or crimes in situations referred to the court by the United Nations Security Council, the United Nation, the UNSC, the big winners of World War II, basically. Uh, they are the ones who call the shots in a very real way in the UN. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it shouldn't be surprising. The ICC has a lot of controversy, accusations of racism, bias, uh, accusations of what's called Eurocentrism, which is meaning only paying attention to the needs of um, Western European nations, Western Central European nations, basically. Uh, and then as you might imagine, there are a lot of countries, especially if a dictator or powerful supervillain has their thumbs on the scale, there are a lot of countries that will say the ICC is not fair when it comes to the cases it selects or it goes past its jurisdiction or, hey, it's not effective at all in the first place. And if you look at how overloaded your court system is in your neck of the global woods, you might be surprised to find just how few cases the ICC has actually followed up on in, in its two decades in action. I'm just saying it makes sense. These accusations make sense even if you don't agree with them. Absolutely. And let's get into that right after a quick word from our sponsor. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. 
from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. We've returned. Uh, before we get into this, we have a quick word uh, from our pals at the UNSC. Kidding. No, it'd be a perfect <laughs> I- IGU commercial. <laughs> Uh, let's do that. Let's do that when we do our war crimes episode. But, uh, but there's some stuff people need to know about the UNSC, right? Yeah. Well, we've mentioned this before in a couple episodes, but Ben, I want you to read that quote one more time about what the ICC can, what they can do. Cause I want to break that down just a little bit before we move into the next section. The ICC can only investigate and prosecute crimes committed within member states, crimes committed by nationals of member states, or crimes in situations referred to the court by the United Nations Security Council. It's a kangaroo court, just just because of that accent. Yeah, that's all. Well, this is this is what it's doing to my brain, at least. I'll let you guys know. So you've got all the member states here, all the state the states that have agreed. Yes, we want to be a part of this thing. We want to have these powers. You can prosecute things that happen within us, and we will also prosecute things that happen within the others. But then you've also got yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, willing to play. But in that other bucket, you've got that United Nations Security Council, which several of those. Big states, the big players, as you said, the winners of World War II aren't members, but there are, I mean, there's an interesting bag there, but let's just name them. China, France, Russia, the UK, and the US. So, and these, this crew can just say, hey, there's something happening over there and you should look into it. And like, (laughs) what do those have in common? Those are the biggest imperialist forces like on planet Earth. (laughs) In terms of just like taking over and like, you know, subjugating countries that are less powerful than them and and exerting their influence throughout history. Those are the countries, you know, it makes sense they they wouldn't uh, want to play. And they can't agree on anything. You know, I would be honestly not to sound too cynical, but uh, if the UNSC agrees on something, 
in my mind, that means it's time to dig in and figure out what the catches are on that because those gangs do not always play nice together. And this this leads us to some of the problems with the with the court here. First, it can only prosecute stuff that happened after its formation. That makes it very different from another from something like uh, Nuremberg, like the Nuremberg trials were prosecuting on things that happened before the creation, like before those trials began. This is looking at, uh, this can only look at 2002 going forward, which, you know, probably makes people like Henry Kissinger super elated. You know, he might've even smiled. I also heard that they can't prosecute anyone under the age of 18. (laughs) Which is, I guess we don't have like, you know, evil princes anymore that like, you know, like Joffrey Baratheon types that like, you know, commit war crimes, but that could change. It's just an odd, I just thought, I found that to be an odd little caveat. They can't prosecute anyone under the, but I guess you can't be in the army. You can't be in a, a military if you're under the age of 18 either. So maybe you wouldn't necessarily be capable or in a position of committing these types of acts, but I did, given the span of history, find that to be a little funny. Yeah, and it's it's probably a response to the epidemic of child soldiers that have plagued mm. human civilization. Prosecute the people I mean, that did the, did did it to them. Prosecute the people that put them in that position. Not necessarily them who have been brainwashed and you know uh, mistreated and, and turned into these you know Manchurian candidates. Mm, yeah. And you know what? That's a that's an episode in the future, too. I think if we look into child soldier epidemics, uh, this. Yeah. So eight, under 18, that's part of it, too. That's a really good point. Secondly, obviously, not every country is going to agree with this idea in general. Several countries on the African continent have accused the ICC of being just a, a jumped up tool of Western imperialism. And what they mean is. They're saying, hey, you at the ICC, you are punishing leaders of smaller, weaker, non-colonial states while you're ignoring much more serious crimes by people who look a little more like you, maybe, or come from more powerful states who are able to bully or bribe. And that's a huge part of this. I've got to say, it's not a ding to any of our European friends because I want to get back in the country at some point. Uh, until twenty, I've got to say there's some validity. Until 2016, all nine cases or uh, <laughs> situations, as they call them, very Seinfeld, very Larry David, all nine situations they investigated were all in African countries. Plus, the ICC is headquartered in The Hague. The, the Hague sounds like a building, but it's it's the third largest city in the Netherlands. And if you already see this as Western imperialism, then of course you're going to say, "Look, this is in this is located in what I see as a representation of that imperialism." You will obviously, like, from your perspective, it's reasonable to say this is to maintain the ghost of old colonial power and enforce this imperialism. So there's beef. It's beefed up. These these controversies, their origins, it's clear. It's no surprise that uh, <laughs> many very powerful countries refuse to play ball at all. They didn't really show up to the playground. China, Japan, Russia, uh, India, and Israel. I would, 
I would put them in some separate buckets. Uh, but they never ratified the treaties, which means, according to the court's own decisions, they cannot legally be prosecuted. However, folks, there is one country that went a, a little farther, you know, the country who said, let's invent extra large because large isn't large enough. The country that said, cocaine's just not doing it. We need something with a little more pep. Uh, the creators of crack, <laughs> the creators of free refills, the United States responded to this with an outright declared conspiracy. This is a true story. Try to come at us, they said, to the International Criminal Court, and we will f invade your city. Here's where it gets crazy. I'm just, I, I know we don't curse a lot on this show, but I feel like we need that to land. For sure, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, that's exactly what this episode is about. Uh, the concept, like, we, we, I, it blew my mind when we first talked about it in that, I think it was a strange news or a listener mail, I can't remember, but we first talked about it. I, I couldn't believe that the U.S. decided that if anyone tries to prosecute a, somebody in the U.S., an important enough member of the U.S., uh, that the ICC attempts to do that, we would, we've put it in writing that we would invade them. Yeah, the mess around and find out would have been a better name for this law. Technically, it's called the American Service Members Protection Act, early August 2002. Well, we, we also know that, I mean, the, the what was it, the, uh, the Rome Treaty or the Rome Doctrine? Ben? Rome Statute. Statute. Yeah, Statute, exactly. Well, you know, the U.S. was had a big hand in in crafting that in the first place, but then ultimately decided, nah, we don't want to participate because they were worried about political persecution or, or, or that the, the, there would be politicized, um, you know, cases against uh, our country or, you know, I mean, that's obviously what they're really concerned about. They, they, they put it in broader terms, obviously, but. You know, considering how many coups and and other, you know, the business of other countries the U.S. gets involved in in terms of like supplying weapons to uh, uh, groups and, and, and countries that are later determined to be war criminals. Of course, we wouldn't want to be, be part of that. You know, it just, it just makes so much sense. And, and, you know, sure, come at the countries. But then also, no, don't, because we need to be a, we need to have a hand in what is determined to be a genocide, you know, because we are participatory in so many of these things. And then we our hands are not clean. Therefore, we have to be able to have plausible deniability and, and you can't come at us directly um, because we're just playing, the, you know, so many sides against each other. Uh, and at the time, it's like, oh, we did it for humanitarian reasons, but we know that's not true. Uh, I don't. I don't think we're some sort of magnanimous. Oh, we're just trying to look out for the best interest of human life. That's just not true, unequivocally. Well, you know, it reminds me of that old meme. Ah, yes, here they are. Consequences of my actions. If you have enough power to say no to the consequences of your actions, then why wouldn't you? In basic terms, this Service Members Protection Act. Street name, Invade the Hague Act, uh, says that it's meant to protect United States military personnel, other elected and appointed officials of the U.S. government, against criminal prosecution by an international criminal court to which the United States is not party, a.k.a. any international criminal court. In the U.S., the president, this is interesting because in the U.S., the president needs congressional approval for any conflict lasting more than 180 days, except in this case. If they say go, then then off you go. Wow. Uh, 
Yeah, it's fast. It's very fast, especially in geopolitics. So it doesn't leave a lot of room for interpretation. The U.S. is not part of the ICC. The U.S. president is allowed to do anything up to and including direct military action. And again, there's another quote, there's a real law to, quote, bring about the release of any U.S. or allied personnel being detained or imprisoned by on behalf of or at the request of the ICC. So it doesn't matter really where they're being kept. It's just good PR to call it invade the Hague, right? It's a catchy phrase. But, you know, if there is a, a, a Carmen San Diego situation and the U.S. Uh, doesn't <laughs> – the U.S. will find that person if they think the ICC is going against U.S. interest. It's wild. Pretty easy to find Carmen San Diego with that big old hat. I just have to say nobody wears a hat that broad except Carmen. It's mind-blowing to me to imagine that the U.S. has a position of, yes, this thing is great. This ICC thing is great. We don't need to play. This thing can function as long as it needs to, as long as it doesn't come after us. Because <laughs> the day it comes after us, it's going to be gone. And come uh, after you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And from some perspectives, yeah, you can see how from some perspectives, this is a dick move. It's back to the, the pizza analogy. The U.S. sat around while everyone was ordering the pizza, dictated a ton of the ingredients, and then said, uh, I'm going to eat, but I'm not going to pay. You know, well, it's like the, the, the fable of the little red hen, you know, like the little red hens uh, cultivating all of the, the ingredients for the bread and the rabbit comes and says, hey, she's like, help me, you know, uh, hoe this this row to get the whatever the grain. And the rabbit's like, no. And then the whatever chicken or no, not the, the, the whatever, some other animal. And then at the end, when the bread is made, all the animals come around like we want some. And the, the little red hen's like, nah, you can't. But we are the all the other animals is what we are. And the little, <laughs> when the little red hen. <laughs> is is the ICC essentially, or the rest of the world? I guess, right? Yeah, it's a complex. Well, we just take the bread. We like just it. take the bread. We eat it, and then we kill Ooh, the little wow. red hen brutally. We liberate. <laughs> we liberate the bread, and we hold the hen accountable. Is <laughs> okay. what, what we tell the school children? How dare they grow that bread? But yeah, it's weird. So you can already see this sticky. This is very divisive for anybody who was around at the time in two thousand two. This was. Um, this was a real sandstorm because I'm trying to curse less on the show after I got out a couple couple F-bombs. The law came into being due to Senator Jesse Helms and U.S. Representative Tom DeLay, a guy who was famous for really dumb decisions. So this was signed into law by then-President George Bush. W, George W. Bush. Don't worry, folks outside the U.S., it's confusing for us too. Uh, it becomes it's law the law in 2000. It's the sun. Yes, the sequel, Son of Bush. Uh, but it, it does a lot more than just say, we will come for you. It prohibits the extradition of anyone, not just military, civilian or military, from the U.S. to the ICC. It bans every single possible government organization, agency, law enforcement, like any branch, federal, state, even local level from assisting the ICC full stop. Your local librarian, by the way, if the ICC for some reason contacts your librarian and says, hey, what's that Matt Frederick guy reading? They'll say, I legally cannot tell you. This is quintessential. This is quintessential might makes right. Isn't it? I mean, it really, truly is. You can kind of dictate all these terms if if the only way anyone's going to call you on it is if they, you know, threaten you militarily. And there are very few nations that can do that to the United States. 
It goes even further. ICC officials are not allowed to conduct investigations on U.S. soil. Yes, that includes military bases abroad, which is important. But wait, Billy Mays was wont to say there's more. Countries that are part of the ICC also cannot receive military aid from the U.S. without explicit exceptions. Uh, it's, it's very, it's very Tupac. You know what I mean? It's very like, it's very screw you. And if you ride with them, screw you too. So it gets a little sticky when we talk about exceptions. NATO members are exempted in general. Allies that the U.S. is playing ball with really nicely are exempted. Taiwan, other countries that have agreed to never, ever, ever hand over any U.S. national to the ICC can get a waiver. Other than that, it's really ironclad. And this is um, obviously there's a lot of political posturing, but it is enforced in 2002, same year, uh, uh, George W. Bush makes this a law. Uh, the U.S. uses this Invade the Hague Act as part of their logic to veto continuing peacekeeping operations in Bosnia. They said, we'll assist. This, we're paraphrasing, but this is what they signaled. We'll assist when we deign to do so, but we are not within the scope of your so-called court. The same laws restrict American forces in UN peacekeeping forces until those troops get immunity from ICC prosecution. The U.S. is still able to help bring accused war criminals to justice in this court as long as they're not American nationals. And at some point, when you hear all these caveats, how crazy this is, you have to ask why. Why does the U.S. have such a stringent set of demands? Honestly, I don't know if you guys picked up on this. Here's the vibe I got when I was doing research about this. I mean, many years ago, too. Uh, it, it still, to me, reads like a jilted high schooler telling people, hey, guys, if you want to be friends, you can't ever, ever talk to my ex because we broke up. Like, I don't text her. I see one of you are still friends on Facebook, and that's just not a good look for us. I really want to know the backstory to that character. Yeah. <laughs> Giant nerd, I think, is, uh, is where you're leaning with that. Yeah. Nobody go um, to d d anymore. <laughs> no. No, no, you got to start a new one. But we're all the we're, we're halfway through the campaign. We've been doing it. No, sorry, sorry, you can't, you can't do it. <laughs> well, it turns out, you know, sadly, there's some compelling reasons behind this. Uh, first, I mean, there are a couple of reasons, but let's just knock let's knock through them. First, there's the potential for war crimes prosecution, as as you point out earlier, Noel. From the bottom to the top, factions of the U.S. government and military saw this jurisdiction as a potential threat. That's why in 2017, everyone's favorite where walrus John Bolton wrote an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal saying that the ICC was purposely designed to target the United States. I don't know if that part's true, but that's what he thought. I would say you can see, I could see that as someone who doesn't know how it was formed, what's going on, and why it was formed. If you imagine that it's a bunch of other states teaming up together to have some kind of power against the the reigning world superpower, right? Like we've got some kind of lever we could potentially pull to protect ourselves against this giant country with the huge army and all the nukes if we had to. Uh, but it doesn't seem to be working out that way, and especially when you consider when this law happened, right? Right after the September 11 attacks, right before we had full-scale invasion of Iraq again. 
I mean, it's just, I don't know. It feels like a, a bunch of people trying to form some kind of Avengers group. Which was under false pretenses, by the way. Wasn't that, a, wasn't that an act of aggression? Wouldn't that have been a crime of aggression? Uh, saying that we're going after weapons of mass destruction when it was proven that that was never, never the case? Or was it decided that that was in good faith, that we, we believed that to be true? So therefore, it wasn't an act of aggression. We'll never know because it's never going to make it to the ICC. Uh, that's that's unfortunately the truth. But uh, yeah, the yellow cake uranium thing turned out to be bunk. So did the stuff about the tubes, and you know, a lot of a lot of American service members died uh, as as a result of um, of of those decisions. Whether you think they were in good faith or whether you think they were purposefully con artists at work. So Bolton said, you know, Bolton is reacting at this point. This is like a year before he has a crazy montage moment as national security advisor. His, his, uh, his, his uh, calendar year of love, 2018 to 2019. And he noted that uh, the ICC prosecutor at the time, Fatwa bin Sauda, uh, was investigating alleged war crimes and crimes against humanity in Afghanistan dating back to 2003. Uh, he said, this raises the alarming possibility that the court will seek to assert jurisdiction over American citizens. And he, along with the people who agreed with him, said this ICC was a, an assault, not just on the U.S., but the concept of national sovereignty. Um, the, the question that he was kind of posing, simply put, whether or not you agree with the guy. And I didn't mean to mustache shame him. He has a very, you know, he's worked hard on his mustache. His question, though, is some, I would phrase it something like this. What does one country's court system matter if another global court can simply ignore it and enforce, you know, their concept of law? Even that, that's part of why the ICC, by the way, is so limited in what it can look at and how. It's, I mean, it's a defensible argument, but you can also say it's a convenient argument a little bit for the U.S. Like you guys said, a lot of, caught a lot of heat across the world for interventions in Iraq, who had nothing to do with September 11th and Afghanistan. Um, fun note, the U.S. has not invaded Saudi Arabia and may have uh, just recently, as we record, slid them some extremely sensitive intel related to other world leaders and nuclear weaponry. And then we got the conversation about real politic, just to define real politic real quickly. It's the idea that you got to be practical, you got to do what works in the moment, and you can't be bound by things like ideology or moral restraints. Again, made famous by Henry Kissinger. But, but but again, like a lot of these uh, these tenets of the the International um, Criminal Court are based in ideology and morality, and uh, it, it, oh, it makes your head spin a little bit, doesn't it? <laughs> I don't. I, yeah, I don't know. I think you can get most people. I think you can get most people to say it is um, not ethical. To for one person to wake up and decide they're judge, jury, and executioner of hundreds of thousands or millions of people. I think we all agree that's a no-no, right? Even, even people who want drastic population reduction would say, well, either make it random or have some kind of system. 
And most of them will also say a system that spares me. But that, that's kind of what I was getting at earlier. Like, like what, what one person's genocide is another person's just conflict, you know, like it takes a lot. The burden of proof to determine something was a genocide requires the proof of intent and, 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 and to be able to actually determine that ideologically this was meant to be ethnic cleansing as opposed to just, no, we were protecting, you know, our, our, our people or, or whatever it might be. These, this was an invading force. So the, the burden of proof is very difficult, right? It's a very high bar because, I mean, there are some, you know, uh, acts or events, um, tragic, you know, killings and uh, conflicts that you, any, you know, rational person would probably look at and say that was a genocide. But they aren't officially categorized as genocides. Oh, oh, cool it, guys. Turkey has entered the chat. So, so moving on, right? I think well, same, same with Indonesia. Down. Yeah. Right? Indonesia. Like, I mean, there's a film called The Act of Killing, um, which is about all of these military, you know, uh, individuals that, that that participated by their own admission in 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 genocide. And they are essentially like we're treated like rock stars and it's a really disturbing film. It's these, these people that the filmmakers found and have them reenact these executions that they carried out, like, like almost like a play. And, um, it's, it's apparently, I actually haven't seen it. It's one that I, it's on my list, but, um, I've seen it. Yeah. Your description's yeah. accurate. Yeah, exactly. But my point is, I don't believe that that event in Indonesia was officially classified by the ICC as a genocide. You, you, when you look at the Wikipedia about it, 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 it kind of vacillates between mass killing and genocide, you know, because it's it's difficult to put to put that the G word on something. It takes a lot uh, for, for the international community to agree. Yeah. Again, check out our episode on um, on genocide. And there, there are powerful forces who wish to uh, control the definition of what is or is not a genocide. I'm not singling out any one force because there are multiple and they don't always agree with each other. Uh, the, I will say the reference to Turkey is a reference to the country's position that there was no Armenian genocide. Uh, we trust you as researchers, fellow conspiracy realists, look up the facts and decide for yourself. Uh, if, yeah, if we've you got want an episode to, on yeah. Metz Yedigern, I think. Uh, mm -hmm. you can look yeah, that we up do. As well. Yeah, <laughs> and so if you look at uh, if you look at the past when the ICC was started out, when the Rome Statute was starting out more properly, you'll see that under the Clinton administration, the U.S. was actively trying to negotiate on the treaty, and they had a pitch. They had they had like a. a <laughs> they had like, they had like a pickup artist level pitch. It was brazen. They said, okay, we want the UN Security Council to screen any cases that go before the court. We want them to not just refer cases to the court if they wish. We want them to be the ones who decide what gets to go into this courtroom. And this meant, in practice, Uncle Sam could just veto anything it didn't like because on the UN Security Council – uh, one veto is all it takes. You don't need three people, three forces voting. You just need one to say no. Uh, and that deal got rejected because, uh, you know, it's an unequal standard of justice. That's what other countries saw it as. And they saw it that way because they were right. Uh, it flew in the face of the whole shtick of the ICC, one uniform standard of justice for all people. Uh, the Bush administration then became pretty aggressive after that. They they negotiated all these, um, they exploited a loophole. 
a delicious loophole. They made a bunch of bilateral agreements with all these other countries, bilateral, just one-on-one. Like Singapore says, no matter what happens, Australia, you and I have an understanding, right? Uh, That's what they did. The U.S. did this with tons of countries through something called bilateral immunity agreements or Article 98 agreements. Again, this is a sweet-ass loophole, honestly, in the Rome Statute. It's about direct agreements between countries, whether or not they're signatories to the ICC. Uh, The Barack Obama administration later makes some less aggro signals. But, folks, this law is not going to change. Washington will not allow U.S. nationals to see a single day in the ICC. And they have the juice to either bribe or bully other countries into agreeing with this stance. Don't look, I was thinking about this. Don't be fooled by a change of in administrations. It's relatively rare for so many successive administrations of differing slants and differing parties to be 100% down with the same thing. There's a reason why. You have to remember, political parties often wear different colors on their jersey, but they are all playing the same sport. And this is, I think this is a a great example of this, whether or not you agree with what they're saying. Um, This, we see the Obama administration bring up the Article 98 agreements in 2014 with the UN and Mali, it keeps going. I mean, we can list we can list the back and forth, like going up to this year. What happened in 2020? People want to hear about what happened during the Trump administration with this stuff. Yeah, I mean, you know, the Trump administration uh, clearly was not okay with this whole concept of another body coming in and, and, and prosecuting um, our government or, or individuals who are part of it. The Trump administration declared a national emergency with an executive order uh, stating that their concern had to do with uh, something needing to be done about the, quote, threat to the national security and foreign policy of the United States posed by the ICC. So they essentially you know, cast the ICC as an enemy of of the United States. Uh, The very next year, um, the current administration, the Biden administration, did ultimately revoke this executive order, though they still kind of caveated the whole thing, saying that the U.S. will vigorously protect current and former United States personnel from any attempts to exercise such jurisdiction. So, uh, you know, Walking back the extreme rhetoric of the Trump administration, but essentially returning to the status quo of, you know, come at us, F around and find out. In the end, it's the same. I mean, they they are all saying the same thing. It's just neutering the, the, the rhetoric a little bit or softening it, rather. That's all it is. It's just another PR move. Uh, it's just like, OK, this is our PR line for this administration. We're going to be a little kinder and gentler and present that we're maybe a little more willing to play ball, but not really at all. See, it's America's uh, perpetual cycle of soft, then hard for a while, then soft again, then cop, hard for cop. a bit. It's all the same team. <laughs> Were they called hummingbirds in Always Sunny? Fractory period? Something like that? No, 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 no. no. For the one person <laughs> that that landed with, that fellow Dennis Reynolds fan, that's for you. Uh, so how about this? Since we've met our uh, requisite Always Sunny reference, uh, maybe we take an ad break here. And Sounds we'll good. return. Yeah. Okay. We'll we'll return to make things even worse. Remember this stuff. You're going to be so fun at parties. 
Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. We're back. Refilled our coffee. Uh, The third point here we need to understand is that if we put aside the argument about sovereignty, which we totally get, we put aside the idea of practicality and, uh, amoral politics, real politics, which we totally get. We have to ask, when these high-level politicians are having a problem with the ICC, who is the U.S. really afraid is going to be targeted? Is it really rank-and-file soldiers, you guys? I mean, 
for supporters of this act, this doesn't mean in any way that a given service member or civilian, past or present, is above the law. Their argument is that, hey, we're we're a country already. We have our own courts. We have our own legal systems. We have ways to uh, bring justice to people who are breaking laws. But as you might imagine, it's not a stance a ton of the rest of the world agrees with. And then other people say, look, this is really, this is just a rejection. We're just concerned that other nations may want to try to unfairly target senior members of the U.S. military political class uh, just for any number of decisions or actions, and it may just be because they're enemies of the U.S. To say the quiet part aloud, the big concern was that U.S. decision makers, not just the soldiers, the people who sent the soldiers, would be on the hook for actions in Iraq and Afghanistan. But is this, I mean, is this even really a genuine threat? Is this just a dollop of, of political theater? There's something really, there are loopholes we can talk about later. But that's the whole politicization threat that 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 caused the U.S. not to want to go all in on the Rome statute from the start. You know, the idea that these types of uh, prosecutions could be politicized, even though, you know, uh, and Ben, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. We had a big hand in crafting the, the statute in the first place. Why did we do that <laughs> if, if we weren't going to going to follow through? It's all good till it isn't. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's a, it's consequences are great for other countries is a, is a, is the implication uh, in a lot of UN conversations. I mean, also it may be tremendously unnecessary. The whole thing is very strange to me. The question you posed there, like, is it actually the rank and file men, like soldiers and, and individuals that were worried would be targeted? Um, well, of course not. It's this, <laughs> it's this self-regulation that we've seen in, in, in a lot of the history of capitalism, right? An industry that wants to self-regulate. So it creates a body that the industries all control. And then that body is the thing that's supposed to make decisions about what's right and what's wrong within the industry, rather than some third party actually looking at it and being somewhat of a watchdog. Uh, I feel like we're doing kind of the same thing here just with a with a superpower country. Yeah. And that's the reason we're able to do that is because we have we were able to flex our military might quietly. You know, we're not literally threatening anybody, but, you know, that's understood that that's on the table, you know, and, and it allows us to kind of you know, what is it? What is it? Walk softly and carry a big stick. Well, well, we'll we'll definitely get some private contractors to build one. Uh, and, you know, whoever makes the lowest bid on the uh, biggest stick. We'll be fine because we, the people buying it, aren't personally going to have to deal with the consequences. Tale as old as time. Uh, <laughs> How yeah, good like, is that big stick? At least yeah. it's cheap. <laughs> right. Uh, this uh, shout out to Vought, if people like that kind of exploration, if they prefer it in fiction. Uh, so this, to read the law in a bare bones matter, though, getting back to whether or not this is even a necessary conversation, the, if you look at the way it's written now, for the ICC's own language, for the uh, copy or the language of, of the U.S.'s own laws, according to its own policies, the ICC only has jurisdiction over states that have signed on, which means that the only way right now, legally, a U.S. national 
could go to that court is if they were also a national of a country that had actually signed the treaty, right? Still, that's not enough for the upper halls of the White House. Every administration since 2002, no fooling, they've been concerned enough about this to make this one of the few things upon which they all agree it remains untouched for decades. But I, I know this is a longer episode, but we've got to play the reindeer games Here's what would happen if a U.S. national ended up being captured going to The Hague. Fast forward past all the blowhard speeches that would go on for months and months, all the dick swinging, all the diplomatic rows. Just imagine that stuff doesn't matter. What if the U.S. actually sent in heavy military might? Here's what would happen. Funny thing is, because The Hague is in Netherlands, which is a NATO member country, North Atlantic Treaty Organization, uh, they could call in NATO. They could invoke that treaty. And the thing about NATO is the most important part of it is like you've teamed up with some bros at a bar and it's a dive bar and you know you might have to get in a fight. So you say, hey, bros, let's all, you know, like put our hands in the circle. If somebody messes with one of us, they mess with all of us. That is what NATO is. So, and all of our collective big sticks will swing them together, you know, as a unit. Exactly. But wait, so. who's this next to me holding a big stick? Hang on. So, oh, so okay, I'm sorry. It's perfect. They invoke NATO. All the NATO countries come together because that's the big thing. Who And who is that with that big stick, Matt? Who is one of the biggest signatories to NATO by any measurement, financial and military? Oh, wait, it's the U.S. Wait, this is the guy we're here for. <laughs> Sorry, bro. <laughs> so uh, the U.S. would be attacking a NATO ally who could in turn invoke the NATO treaty. And the U.S. would what? Shrug and say, I guess the real monsters were the friends we made along the way, you guys. Or maybe would just some old hard case at the Joint Chiefs of Staff, like turn the lights down a little lower and like slowly smoke a cigarette as he started to bomb Kansas while he's listening to Michael Jackson's The Man in the Mirror. None of yeah, that's asking him to make a change, you know, take a look at yourself, mm -hmm. make it. Mm -hmm. Now nah, we, we don't change. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is who we are. <laughs> it's, it's fine. Uh, so it's true that it's, it's a weird situation to find oneself in. It's very Heller catch 22 because the U S has been by far historically the largest single donor to NATO. Uh, it's also by itself the largest or most dangerous military in the world. Uh, this, ch unless something fundamentally changes, what that means is this invade the Hague law is kind of like a, a, a warning it's a line in the sand that neither party really int intends to cross. Uh, and we have to point out also, the U.S. routinely ignores other countries' sovereignty. It routinely ignores, across the span of history, international law to unilaterally enforce its own goals. Whether or not you agree with those actions, whether or not you think there's a greater good argument, that's just true. That's not a hot take. That's why it's laughable, the whole, like, all of the um, moralistic posturing around, you know, Russia invading Ukraine. It, it, it's laughable to me, you know, this idea that we're the good guys and, and we're, you know, this moral compass of, of the world. It's just not true. Look at history. We do that stuff all the time. You know, we, we, we were just using this as a talking point. You know, that's, that's I mean, maybe I'm overstating the case, but it sure feels like a big old dose of a hypocrisy there. Yeah, shout out Coalition of the Willing. Uh, internally, also, the U.S. doesn't seem all that opposed 
to the ICC when it's convenient. Just this year, 2022, as we record this, back in April, I believe, Senate Resolution 546 passed unanimously. Uh, This was introduced by a guy named Lindsey Graham. Uh, who is uh, making quite a name for himself in politics. Uh, This this resolution, again, bipartisan, unanimous, everybody's on board. Uh, It essentially begs the ICC, it implores the ICC to take any appropriate steps to investigate war crimes and crimes against humanity committed by the Russian armed forces and their proxies and President Putin's military commanders at the direction of Russian President Putin. Russia also is not a signatory to the ICC. That's right, rules of convenience. Uh, Now, will this support continue once the U.S. considers the Russia problem, one way or another, solved? Spoiler, probably not. And there's a funny thing. This is just a little, we got a couple, uh, (laughs) we've got one chuckle for you here. Even though if you like dark humor, this whole thing is a chuckle fest. Uh, For now, if you walk around the Netherlands, if you talk to like 98% of the people there, uh, again, the Hague is based there. It's the third largest city after Rotterdam, I think. If you ask them about this law, and they'll probably know a little bit about it, but they're not super worried about a U.S. invasion. If you ask the average Dutch person what they think about the U.S., they'll have a lot of things to say. They'll have a lot of questions, but none of them will be worried about the U.S. military actually storming that city because it's it's just not going to happen. The Netherlands are the epitome of chill, too. It's the epitome of neutrality, you know, like second to like, what, Switzerland. I mean, seriously, it's like weed has been legal there since time immemorial. You know, it's like canals and cafes and like, you know, windmills and stuff and and wooden shoes. I'm sorry. I know I'm absolutely uh, stereotyping uh, the Netherlands, but it is a very mellow place, which I think is, is partly why. The Hague is this kind of, you know, central uh, place for the international community to sort of be like, well, they're they're not threatening at all. <laughs> Let's just put well, it there. It's still the thing is, it's still on the books, whether or not you think it's an actionable law. Uh, it is a real law and it is a law from one of the countries world famous throughout modern history for playing Judge Dredd in any given situation. I am the law says the U.S. all too often. When the world said, let's all be accountable, the U.S. took a line from Orwell's animal farm and said, we are all accountable. Just some of us more than others. And that's that's where we have to leave it today, unfortunately. Uh, just really quickly, guys, it feels like we've created some kind of self-fulfilling prophecy with the United States stance on the ICC and then as you described the relationship that we have with NATO and how there's no real way out. What if, if let's say the, the day comes when we do have some high ranking officials in the United States that are being sought by the ICC and everybody else except for the United States is down because they, everyone has agreed those guys did some really bad things and they need to be held accountable if we get to that point and then it's the United States, it, it feels like we've made a prophecy for us to be the big bad guy that everybody else has to gang up on to defeat. Not not right now, but at some point in the future, because of the way we've maneuvered our stances with these international 
organizations. Yeah, but these folks aren't thinking in terms of decades. They're thinking in terms of four years and election cycles when they make yeah, these Yeah, and laws. I was going to ask you, Ben, like if, if there was such a situation, does this whole invade the Hague thing just go away for political reasons? Is it something that gets triggered like automatically, like a fail safe kind of mechanism? Or is there some like, you know, leeway for like the person in charge to decide whether or not uh, to enact that? Yeah, it, it's a good question. Would be uh, a lot of domestic furor, a lot of a lot of uh, vehement public statements, but then would be a backroom negotiation. The odds against this actually happening, uh, again, unless something profoundly changes on a fundamental level, are enormous. It would be like winning uh, an evil lottery four times in a row. Uh, check the math and tell me how what the odds are there. But still, the most important thing to remember is whether or not this is enacted. This is a law on the books. And that's that's our show, folks. We we obviously cannot wait to hear your thoughts. We have a lot of uh, veterans who listen along with us. We have a lot of people who have traveled throughout the Netherlands, throughout the world. And um, we want to know what you think about this law. But before before we go, uh, we want to, um, Matt, I don't want to speak for both of us, but Noel, bro, it's very good to have you back, man. Yeah, it's, it's good to be back. Um it's been a crazy couple of weeks. Uh, very ironically, um, I'm in the similar position or in the same exact position that, that you were in very recently, Ben, um, having a moment like this at the end of an episode after being inexplicably gone for a minute. Um, I had uh, a, a very sad thing happen. My family, um, I lost my mother um, very suddenly. And um, you, you know, you and, and Matt have been so supportive and uh, so kind and, and just, you know, been there for me every step of the way and made me feel completely, you know, comfortable and taking care of everything that I needed to, of course. And, um, you know, I, I obviously put it out there on the Internet, you know, and a lot of listeners and very kind friends um, have reached out and, and uh, said very, very lovely things and, and have also made me feel very, um, very comforted um, in this time, you know, with my, my family, my my daughter, um, my partner and, and all of our work friends and uh, our extended family have just been incredible. But, yeah, it's it's been a, a very trying couple of weeks, but I'm very, very happy to be back. And I can't thank the two of you uh, and Super Producer Paul uh, and Alexis enough for um, just supporting me, you know, while I while I dealt with this. It was not something uh, we saw coming, um, and it was uh, a very unexpected turn. But um, I'm happy to be back, and uh, you know, still going to be things to to deal with along the way. But uh, I feel utterly supported and, and seen by our listeners and and by by all of us uh, here on stuff that I want you to know. So thanks, thanks to you all, and thanks to all of you out there in conspiracy realist land. It means the world. And we're glad you're here instead of, of course, invading the Hague. Um, I feel like I was considering least, it. I was yeah. considering it yeah, as a coping mechanism, but just seemed like a little bit of a, of, a, of a stretch. I didn't think I quite had the resources to get that done. So I'm just so glad you're back here, man. And over the years now, without sounding schlocky, we've become part of a community larger than we could have imagined. And uh, fellow conspiracy realist, uh, you are part, you are an integral part of that community. We can't wait to hear from you. And, and I'm sure you, you got some of this as well, Ben, but I mean, I've had folks reach out saying how listening to our show helped them get through the death of a loved one, you know, or, or, you know, the death of a close family member. And it, it goes both ways. 
I, I assure you, uh, you are the most important part of this show, as Ben you know, says every episode, and that is not hyperbole. Um, and, and some of the kind words that folks have reached out with feel like the words of, of, of friends and, and of family. And it's been very, very meaningful to me. Um, and I thank you from the bottom of my heart, as, as do we all, you know, for just being part of that community that Ben uh, is referencing. Here, here. Hey, so if you want to reach out, go ahead and find us on Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube, where we are Conspiracy Stuff. On Instagram, we are Conspiracy Stuff Show. If you want to call us, our number is one eight three three stdwytk Yeah, it's a voicemail system. You'll figure it out. you got three minutes. Let us know if we can use your voice and message on the air. If you've got more to say than can fit in any of that stuff, why not instead send us a good old-fashioned email? We are Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Attention, true crime enthusiasts. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com.